Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. On this Monday morning, we are celebrating the Knicks are back to winning 119-97. And Gavin, I certainly hope that they would have won this game over the Thunder, who were without Shea Gilgis-Alexander on Saturday. But, you know, a win is a win, and I thought that there was a ton of stuff to be really encouraged by in this game. Yeah, this game was all about the Knicks' three-headed monster. R.J. Barrett, 32 points, a career high. Julius Randle, 26 12 and 12. Emmanuel quickly went off in the first half, continued his hot shooting into the second. We'll get into all that and much more on this episode of Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find online at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, play-by-play announcer and, of course, Nick's podcaster. And, Gavin, we uh, we got treated, I think, to a – well, all right, I won't say treated because it wasn't a treat the whole way through. Uh, the, the game against the Thunder, the Knicks fell behind early on Saturday, um, and it was kind of concerning because – the Thunder were without Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, they were starting like two 19 year olds. They had Theo Maladon and Alexei Pokashevsky out there to start the game. They also had uh, Lou Dort and Isaiah Roby out there, who I believe are both second year players. Uh, and then had Al Horford out there in their starting lineup. But they were, I mean, it was a rebuilding lineup in this game. Uh, and yet they came out and sort of shocked the Knicks to start, gave them some trouble uh, and put the Knicks down by, I think as much as 11 or 12 at one point in the first half, which just doesn't seem right. And then the Knicks, luckily uh, once Emmanuel quickly came in, he started getting them back on track. They go into the half up by two. And then of course, it, you know, you heard the final score, 119 to 97. That's pretty indicative of how things went in the second half. Uh, mostly led by the fact that Emmanuel quickly started the second half as the starter. So we finally got to see, after waiting for so long, an extended run of Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, and Julius Randle. And all three of them played phenomenal in the second half as a result. Uh, and it, obviously RJ Barrett's career night was sort of the the banner thing in this game. Uh, he scored a career high 32 on 12 of 21 shooting three, six from three also had five rebounds, three assists, three steals. So Gavin with that, I will throw it to you. That was like the, you know, just the basic general recap of the game. Where do you want to start as far as conversation on this one? Yeah, Alex, uh, RJ, RJ was the big story, but I almost, I, I th- almost want to look at the three of them playing together collectively. We we've seen the, 
the plus minus numbers uh, with those three in, I, I know I was, I was tweeting them out like every day back when I was, I was really, I was all locked in on my Emmanuel quickly needs to start fixation. Um, but today was, was further confirmation of how those three or rather Saturday was further confirmation of how those three can work together. And the irony is, I mean, you, you, Tib, Tibbs was sending a message to the Knicks fan base loud and clear. Like, look, I, I just, I really like what quickly brings off the bench. And, and clearly he, he believes like the best developmental pathway for quickly is to get a whole lot of minutes um, operating as, as essentially the LeBron James of the bench unit and just kind of getting to, to play with impunity, take, take a lot of tough shots and, and just get a lot of work as a primary creator even if that isn't necessarily his long-term role in the NBA. And, you know, what? to some extent, I, I, I've come around a little bit on, on that, Alex. I mean, despite my obvious frustrations with Alfred Payton, it made it a lot easier to swallow when Derrick Rose was starting, uh, even though he didn't play very well today. It was, it was also easier when, when Frank was starting, though that one was more from just like a, a personal favorite perspective than from a basketball perspective. But you also, you, you saw the the upside of, of when the Knicks actually put their three best offensive players on the court together. And then right at the beginning of the second half, um, quickly RJ and, and Randall, they, they had multiple plays where it was either two of them interacting or all three of them interacting. I know they had one where it was like a Randall kind of uh, dribbling from the top of the key, dribble handoff to quickly, quickly comes around. He, he'd been, he'd been shooting it well, making a ton of floaters. So the Thunder's defense kind of, Collapsed on him a little bit, kicks it back out. RJ left wing three, and then I was. It was just like kind of a cool moment. I I know I know you'll you'll appreciate this reference, Alex. It, it was just sort of like the the first couple of times in in the initial Avengers movie when you saw Captain America, Thor, and and Iron Man just start to start to find their rhythm and work together, and like Iron Man like shooting his beam off of Cap Shield. It it kind of it kind of struck me as that kind of moment. I know I know they've gotten minutes together before, and, and they've had some really good moments. But this game with all three of them just really rolling on a high level. To your point against the Thunder team that was overmatched, it almost I almost hesitate to take away too much from this game just because not not that the, the Thunder have a bunch of really good players. I don't want to be disrespectful to the Thunder. Their record isn't isn't that much worse than the Knicks. And with Shea back, they they came back and beat a very good Memphis team a day later. But uh, not not a lot of great defenders and the Knicks, RJ in particular, just looked overwhelming physically. But it, it was just such a great sign to see those three guys play together and play well. And, and instead of just sort of like like being like solo guitarists and just and just kind of trying to play over each other, uh, they got they got into a really good rhythm and and they made some some beautiful basketball music in this one. Yeah, uh, to your point, Gavin. You know, you just mentioned the. Uh, on off or not on off, but the the net rating numbers and stuff and how they how they tend to look uh, with those guys on the floor. Just for reference, RJ Barrett, Julius Randall, Alfred Payton for the season have played 827 minutes together and are a collective minus 2.9 in net rating when they share the floor together. Uh, and the combo that we saw the other day of Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly has a offensive rating of 117.8 and a defensive rating of 104. And that is a plus 13.8 while they're on the floor together in just 166 minutes so far this year, which 
of three-man lineups that have played at least 100 minutes together on the Knicks this year ranks one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh, which is is pretty solid uh, considering they have the highest minute total of any of those other lineups. Uh, funny enough, the the highest combo is something that you could still achieve with those three out there because the highest combo is R.J. Barrett, Nerlens Noel, and Alec Burks in 103 minutes this year has a net rating of plus 29. <laughs> which is kind of absurd, yeah. but yeah, the, the symbiosis between those three was great. You know, I think it's important to note that, you know, they haven't really spent that much time together and yet still you just see the effect that quickly shooting has on the spacing. You know, I, I don't, I, I feel like a jerk for constantly harping on just how bad elves, you know, shooting ability or lack thereof is for the Knicks offense, but it just is. I mean, you waste full possessions with him out there because if he's standing in the corner waiting for the ball, if you pass it to him, he shoots it almost every single time. And yet I'm not even going to bother to look up his, his corner three numbers. I know it's got to be something like, I I don't know, 12%. It's, it's horrendous. He almost never hits from the corner. And yet that's where he ends up on so many possessions where you see, you know, Julius Randle drives in, gets doubled by Elsman from the corner because Elsman knows that he doesn't have to cover him. And then Randle, just because it's the best option available, passes to Alfred Payton. The defense doesn't rotate to him because they don't have to. And then he shoots and he misses. And, you know, with quickly, you can't do that. You can't leave quickly alone on the perimeter. As a matter of fact, you have to smother him. I mean, teams are treating him in many ways already as a rookie treating him like some of the the more, you know, deadly perimeter options in the entire NBA. You know, they're, they're trying to fight over screens to make sure that he can't get open looks off pick and roll. They're chasing him around, you know, off-ball screens. They're just trying to stick with him at every possible opportunity because if he's left open, teams know he can hit it easily. And, you know, there was there was even like my worries initially in the season with his release and stuff about it taking a little long and, um, you know, the, the process of him getting off a clean shot and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think teams recognize that, too, and they realize like the only way you're going to stop this kid is if you get in his in his grill. And even then, sometimes he's going to draw a foul on you. Um, but you have to that's the, the best way that you could try to stop him is to get in his way, which, you know, is kind of just true for every shooter. But. His his gravity is crazy right now. Uh, you know, for a rookie in his, I don't know, like 30-somethingth game, because he hasn't played every game this year. He's probably in like his 32nd game or something like that, 33rd. Um, you know, for him to have the the sort of gravitas that he has already is is crazy. And it really showed in, in how much it helped Randall and RJ. You know, particularly RJ had his best quarter uh, in the third quarter of that game. And it w- I think it was in large part due to the fact that he and Randall had so much room to operate together. You know, they were doing, they were doing like, you know, handoffs to one another and, you know, finding each other open and uh, running all kinds of great plays. RJ had, you know, a couple where Randall sort of gave him like a dribble handoff. Like, you know, Randall would just kind of dribble into a, a pick and then hand it to RJ and set the pick for him. RJ would take the pick and then just get right to the hoop. And it, his finishing was phenomenal, you know, uh, which we could probably get into in the 
the next segment a bit when we sort of zero in on RJ, but you know, he's, he was so good finishing. And part of it, I think was the fact that the paint was finally unclogged by the fact that he was playing with, you know, three guys that could shoot. And, you know, then Nerlens Noel can just kind of sag off and hang in the dunker spot, which is fine, you know, because he has to be respected there as much as much as he still can't catch the ball, really. But he has to be respected, you know, if he's in the dunker spot and then RJ can find his way to the rim and just use his craft to, you know, create open looks there, which he did plenty while, you know, you have Reggie Bullock, Julius Randle and Emmanuel quickly hanging out on the perimeter and keeping the defense honest. So it was, it was a great display. You know, I, I think that it, there's been times where quickly has come in and individually played so well that it makes you say, come on, how can you not put him in the starting lineup? Look how good he is. He's scoring a point per minute, like, you know, whatever he's, he's decimating bench units. Just give him a chance to start already. This game, we finally got to see, you know, a look at what he would look like in the starting lineup. And it looked, I would say, even better than we could have possibly imagined. Yeah, um, I'm in total agreement. And I think it's a situation ultimately where, and I've, I've said this at times, um, I would, I it's kind of a, a I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to butcher some Spanish here, but you know, in like the, the taco commercial where is it, it was the big thing like where they lift a girl like up on their shoulders was like soft shell versus hard shell. I don't remember that commercial. Okay. But. All right. Anyways, I, maybe some people know what I'm referencing, but it's a poor K no los dos situation. I think I, I would, I would love to see him get run with the starters. Oh, I do know that. I didn't know that was a commercial. Yeah. You can now. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I got it. I'll, I'll find it at some point and tweet it just so people know what I'm talking about. But um, it, it was it was a big commercial where like they carry the girl around on on, her, on like the guy's shoulders and she's like celebrated throughout the town because she found the hard shell taco. I don't know. Anyways, neither here nor there. Um, my 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 point is, um, I, I think I, I would hope the long term future for Emmanuel quickly or even the near term future would be start the guy, get him out there, pull him early, and then bring him back in with the bench if if you're trying to get him. Those on-ball reps, because I, I agree, I think that's good for him, and I think it's good for his development for him to to fully stretch his game. But that doesn't preclude um, the idea that he he should be out there with the starters. Anyways, Alex, it's incredible. R.J. Barrett's career night, and I found a way to make this whole first segment, uh, at least on my end, about Emmanuel quickly starting or not starting. So I, I think I think I just need to to calm down a little bit, and the best way I know to do that is the great headspace app wouldn't it be great if there's a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep focus act be better that's, that's a lot of great things there is and if you have 10 minutes headspace can change your life headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app i started meditating i i, I took a i took a class on it i, I was stupid I, I spent i spent a whole bunch of money instead of just getting a good app um, but it's something that I've loved doing over the last couple of years as someone who's certainly like dealt with like a lot of stress and mental health issues my whole life. I found it immensely, immensely helpful. And and the few times I actually have the discipline to be very consistent about it, um, it, it is a real game changer. And Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. 
I mean, at times like this, it's all the more crucial. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. You need some help falling asleep. I've been using these all the time. Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. I would actually highly, highly recommend that. I've said that to my parents before. I would have loved if this was something I started doing earlier in life. I, I, I'm i not an expert in this area, but intuitively, I think it's something that could be immensely helpful. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000, that's a very big number, five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Man, Locked On Knicks would kill for those kind of numbers. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash lockdownmba. That's headspace.com slash lockdownmba for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Go to headspace.com slash NBA today. And today's episode is also brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football's over, of course, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing, particularly college basketball. No offense to the NBA right now, but Everybody super excited over the NCAA tournament coming back. Of course, it was canceled last year due to COVID. It is back this year. They're bubbling up. It's going to be a big, fun time, hopefully. And, you know, my wife already asked me to place a bet on Rutgers 10 seed over Clemson, a 7 seed in the Midwest bracket. I'm going to do that probably just because, you know, Rutgers hasn't made it since like 1991. She's an alum and... That's a that's a fun bet to place, and you know where I'm going to do it, which is betonline.ag. But even if, <laughs> strangely, sports aren't your thing, uh, BetOnline also covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. Of course, we're in award season right now, so plenty of bets to be had on all the major award shows. The Grammys are over with, but you know they didn't nominate the weekend anyway, so who cares about them? But you know you got the Oscars coming up. You got all these other award shows. You could definitely bet on those with betonline.ag as well. BetOnline features real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. And they have you covered with all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it is free to sign up. So be sure to head to the website, again, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code locked on. Again, go to betonline.ag and use promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, now that we got all those ads out of the way, actually, you know what? Now that I think of it, March Madness is here, and that means bracket challenges. Join our Locked On Listener Bracket Challenge group on ESPN. Submit your March Madness picks, beat your favorite hosts, and if you win, you will get a guest appearance on Locked On Today, our daily news podcast. The link, the link to join is in the show notes of this episode. Get your picks in today. That's very exciting, Gavin. I'm sure people will have no issue beating me 
in that because I know absolutely nothing about college basketball at large this year. I don't know about you. How, how are you? Are you feeling confident in the bracket challenge? No, not at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish I could say. I mean, I, I think I, I don't know about you. Whenever whenever I do it, even though I think for the last couple of like since graduating college, I haven't been a big college basketball person. I, I have a weird, unearned sense of confidence as I actually fill it out. But I think I think I've been beaten down too many times by that never actually paying off. So so no, I'm not I'm not very confident. Yeah, I, mostly I find that I watch the tournament anymore for the prospects too. So certain games, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on Gonzaga for Jalen Suggs, although it seems somewhat unlikely that either the Knicks or Mavs pick is going to end up that high in the draft at this point. Um, trying to think what other like good uh, Florida State as the four seed. They have, um, uh, oh my God, why am I, Scotty Barnes. Yeah, he's he could be an intriguing guy that maybe could be in the Knicks range if we're yeah. if we're lucky, uh, you know. So that's that's where I'm going to make my appointment watching. I think with uh, most of these lineups, and a lot of times I don't know I don't know if it's just like bad luck or what, but like I feel like a lot of times the the top prospects that I want to watch get knocked out early. <laughs> so I always try to get those those in when I can uh, early on in the tournament. But yeah, it should be exciting. So we'll definitely fill out brackets on that bracket challenge. So if anyone's interested, definitely check that out. You can go head to head with us and all the rest of the the locked on hosts and probably beat some of us. Because like I said, I'm sure that we're not alone on this. We only really watch the NBA island here. But at any rate, speaking of mostly watching the NBA and former uh, deep NCAA tournament run guys, RJ Barrett was really good in this game uh, against the Thunder. And I feel like we sort of, we almost glossed over it a little bit because we were so excited about the the potential new starting lineup if we get our wish here. But yeah, I, RJ, again, 32 points, 12 of 21 shooting, three of six from three, five of seven from the free throw line, five rebounds, three assists, three steals in this game. It was an absolute masterclass from RJ. Career high in scoring. He finally got his first 30-point game, which... I can't believe that he hadn't had a 30 point game yet because honestly he has some games that he's, he's looked dominant enough that you would think he had like 35 at least, but because of scoring distribution and stuff, he just never quite gets there. Particularly this year, you know, it seems like, seems like he and Randall will often combine for like 50 points, but you know, RJ is usually the, the lower one on the totem pole there. In this case, he was number one, uh, 32 points to Randall's 26. But awesome game from him. Awesome game from Randall, too, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I, I think, Gavin, the thing that most impressed me with this was, one, the three of six from three, which just continues this really hot shooting that RJ's had for, like, almost – actually, I won't even say almost. It's been, like, a full two months now that he's been shooting, if you look at the numbers, like, well over 40%. And depending on, so he's had like those two major slumps this year, right? He had the, so the first game he was good against the Pacers. Then there was that, I think it was like a five game stretch where he went 0 21 from three. That tanked his, his three point percentage. Then he bounced back in a game. Uh, I forget who it was against. It might've been against the Pacers again. It seems like every, <laughs> the Pacers are always like a, a relaunch point for him this year. Yeah. But then, then he had another really cold stretch where he shot like, 20% from three over a sample of like seven or eight games. And 
if you sort it after that, he's shooting damn near 50% since that stretch, which I think ended midway through January or something like that. Um, I, I didn't pull the numbers directly before this, but I mean, just his, his amount of skill from the three point line now is just getting kind of staggering. Like I'm almost getting to the point where I expect his threes to go in, which is not something that I ever would have expected. I would have been saying like last year, uh, you know, where I expect every three that he shoots to be money at this point, but it's really getting there. And it's been sustained now for probably like at least a 15 to 20 game sample. And that's obscene. I mean, even if you take his second cold stretch into account, he's still shooting around 40% from three over that stretch. You know, if you just leave out the 0 for 21 at the beginning of the season, which is just absolutely crazy stuff. But the probably the most impressive thing about this game was, to me, his finishing inside. He got he did most of his damage uh, at the like right at the rim. He actually didn't hit a single mid range shot in this game. He took a few of his sort of other signature shot, which is the little mid range pull up he's been hitting lately, where he just sort of you know takes it takes like a little handoff and then you know just stops and pops right at the free throw line. He actually didn't hit any of those. He took three. But he hit like six of eight uh, inside by the, you know, right at the basket. And I, I think that's the part that if he figures that out, he seems to have that sort of, uh, it's funny to say that it's like Quickly-esque, being that Quickly's the rookie in this scenario. But he has that almost Quickly-esque ability to get a guy on his hip and just take him all the way to the rim at this point and has a really good you know, sense of stopping and starting and being able to, to, you know, create the space that he needs to get in there and get a layup off cleanly. His Euro step seems much improved this year. Um, you know, and he's pulling that off at least two, three times a game, it seems like. And if he figures out finishing along with the fact that the three point shooting is where it is now, I mean, the sky might be the limit for him. I, you know, I, I don't want to get too starry eyed and start thinking like, Oh, what if RJ's, what if we were wrong? And like RJ's ceiling is actually, or, you know, RJ's actually cruising towards the ceiling that we had set forth for him, but maybe even better, you know, where I I know at least for myself earlier uh, before the season, we had talked to some people. I think it was even our episode with Nate Duncan, where I said, you know, I think RJ could potentially be Jimmy Butler someday if things really work out for him. It could be even better because he he's if he continues shooting at a forty percent clip from three, I mean, just forget about it. And he defends well, he does everything well. It maybe, it, you know, maybe RJ is on this trajectory where he could be a legitimate, like, if not first star on a really great team, at least a second star on like a legitimately great team, and that's really encouraging uh, based off what we've seen lately. But. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this specific game from him, Gavin, and his career best night or afternoon. I should say it was an afternoon game. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd reiterate essentially essentially everything you said. Um, I, I I know when we did the pod with Jack, I, I was saying one of the big things that I'm I'm looking out for uh, from RJ all year is that he he shows up when they play really really challenging defenses and not. 
and, and I don't I don't mean that from from a mental perspective because the dude is is such a such a competitor. I, I don't think he would ever falter or or like be in his own head against a really good team. More so, just does he have the shot making chops at, at this point in his career? Um, and as we we always note the qualifier with RJ, it's like working in a, a generally generally a far less than ideal environment. Um, can he can he still find ways to score and be effective? And you have some games that are extremely promising on that front, and then other games that make you question like, all right, is this guy is this guy ever going to be a star? Or is he just is he ultimately like a really good bench scorer? Or is he just like a fourth starter who's going to have to kind of retrofit his game around a better player whenever the next event or a better perimeter player in particular, because obviously they've Randall already. Um, whenever the next acquire that guy. But then games like this give you some faith, and, and it wasn't because the Thunder obviously want, aren't one of the elite teams in the NBA. They don't really have anyone who would, outside of Lou Dort, who who's mostly guarding smaller players, um, who would qualify as an elite perimeter defender. And yet, I, I also think it's a key metric, and maybe one that I didn't talk enough about when we talk about RJ. Um, it, it's, it's, it's essential that someone like that can dominate kind of crummy teams who, who don't have anyone who can man up against him and, and not only have that ability, but recognize, Hey, I have an advantage. Literally no one on this team is just physically strong enough to guard me. And I'm going to keep getting to the rim and I'm going to take advantage of that again and again and again. And to your point, we, we saw that a ton this game. And I think it was, I think it was really good for him. I mean, we, I, I referenced, I can't remember if it was last pod or two pods ago, but the insane stat of how him and Elf had played like, close to a thousand minutes together and Elf has only assisted him 18 times. I think it was, I, I know, I know we're, we're doing it. We're doing the thing where we're just crap on Elf a bunch, but I think it was beneficial for him that Alfred Payton was, was not playing this game. And it's probably even beneficial for him that Derek Rose wasn't playing this game, but it was kind of a turn back to the start of his NBA career where David Fisdale was using him as a nominal point guard. And that, that wasn't really true for the entire game, but early on with Franken, RJ got a chance to bring the ball up a couple of times. And I, I remember, I, I noticed it right away. It was like, Oh, this is like a good little hit of nostalgia. Like I haven't seen this the whole year. And then, and then once Frank was, was banished to the shadow realm for the rest of the game, um, it, it kind of became a multi ball handler offense. And, and RJ had a really good chance to get a feel. And to your point, when you, when you combine that with the added shooting on the floor, I, I just think he got into a really good, comfortable rhythm. This, this was kind of RJ's happy spot. It was almost, I, I've, I've made a lot of convoluted analogies. In this podcast, but it was almost like he spent the whole year with like two parents who like hate each other and are aggressively fighting. And now they've just finally gotten divorced. And it's just like a mutually like happy. Oh, mom's happy. Dad's happy. I can I can go do work. And that's kind of what it felt like. It just felt like a clean, a clean slate for RJ Baird. And he took full advantage of it. I'll, I'll get into the play by play a little bit um his first shot of the game, or or at least what I what I marked down as his first shot of the game, he actually missed. But I, I love the look. He, he kind of got into like the mid post area um, and, and did like a nice little reverse pivot into a step through up and under. And he, he didn't make it. But I, I'm, I'm a big advocate for him having a post game and being able to punish mismatches. I think especially in postseason basketball where defenses get better and, and they're so locked into this scouting report and, and maybe they're. They're playing off him a little bit. And obviously, look, if RJ's a 40-plus three-point shooter long-term, I I don't care that he doesn't do it off the dribble that much. Um, Teams are going to have to respect him. But let's just say first postseason, he's he's not shooting at that rate. Teams are playing off him. I I like the idea that RJ's saying, all right, that's fine. I'm going to do the Giannis thing, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to initiate the contact, and I'm going to go create something out of the post. So he had that little play. Um, He had like a really nice – 
Eurostep, and, and he kind of does this thing sometimes. We talked about it before, where he's almost like a running back uh, going going down like the middle of the line, and, and he just puts his head down, puts the ball under his arm, and just pure power. He, he basically went right through Alexei Pokashevsky, who's who's like seventy pounds soaking wet, finished at the rim. Um, then then he, he used the quickly trick. He put Poku in, in booty jail, then had like one of those little like really nice like left to right handed finishes. And I, I, I don't know about you. I, I get a little I get a little excited every time I see him finish with his right hand because it's so rare for him. And we, we see him just just go to insane lengths to get back to his left. And, and then it was just a lot of opportunistic stuff like he caught an air ball and turned it into an and one. He, he like drove and, and kicked it to Julius Randle on the opposite wing for a three. He had that little three-man sequence with Randle and quickly that got him a three, quickly got a steal in the backcourt, and that set him up for an and one. So that's how RJ gets the 30 points. He's a game where he's scoring well inside, shooting well for three, and, and then you mix in like some shots that he just doesn't normally get. And, and when you look at his efficiency and you say, all right, it's not quite where I'd want it to be, I, I would say that's generally because he so rarely gets easy shots. And Alex, maybe this is something we say for the third segment, but, uh, but I thought it was really good for RJ and everyone on the Knicks that they played with a little bit more tempo and got a couple easy looks because of that. They got a couple easy looks because they were shooting well, and then they forced some turnovers and, and got a couple easy looks because of that. Yeah, well, you know what? Let's save that for the third segment because I have to tell everybody about Built Bar Madness. Yes, we have been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing, low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, fantastic-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. And now is the time to figure out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness. And Gavin, today's matchup, well, first, I got to shout out, Cookies and Cream cruised to a victory in the sweetest 16 on Friday, I predicted that Cookies and Cream, heavy favorite to potentially win the whole thing. Easily one of the best flavors in the Built Bar lineup. But today's matchup is between Toffee Almond and Mint Brownie. And, you know, Toffee Almond pulled up what uh, what might be considered an upset in the first round over Banana Nut Bread uh, to make it to the sweetest 16. Now up against Mint Brownie. I'm going to be casting my vote for Toffee Almond again. I'm a big Toffee Almond fan. So uh, let's get this campaign going. Those of you that listen and, and feel like going and voting, uh, you could go to BuiltBar.com to vote on that. Or you can check out Bar underscore Built on Twitter and place your vote that way and make sure that the best bar wins, which is Toffee Almond. It's nothing against Mint Brownie. Mint Brownie is plenty good, but I'm team Toffee Almond all the way. It's got little little bits and nuts in there. Just overall fantastic taste. I, I think it's one of the best bars on the whole Built Bar lineup. So if you want to do that and also pick up some Toffee Almond Bars for yourself, remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Again, that's pr- promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And be sure to check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. All right, guys, it's almost that time of year again. I I know last year in the pandemic shortened season, it felt like we only talked about the NBA draft all the time. 
I, I hate to tell all of you, though I kind of love to tell all of you because based on our listener numbers, it seemed like that those are everyone's favorite episodes. Um, it's draft season again. Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs. The Knicks probably aren't going to get any of them, but you never know with the new lottery odds. And how much do you really know about these potential stars that could be Knicks one day? If you want to know a little more, you need to subscribe to the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. Prospect scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft on social media. All right, Alex, let's get into it. I, I just had my whole big diatribe on R.J. Barrett. Um, but I was also, I was kind of hinting at, um, it, it take uh, run with this if you want to go a different direction if you want to, but I, I just, I loved, um, after after a pretty slow start, just how many easy baskets the Knicks were able to generate. And granted, like some of it was, again, not going against a great defense, a defense starting a lot of young players. Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly just being unconscious for different points in the game. But I think the Knicks also did some sel- did themselves some favors. For one, getting a lot of shooting on the floor, which we've already discussed. But two, playing with a lot of pace. And just, just to general, and even, even in the half court and plays they didn't run, it felt like there was a verve and an urgency and, and to me, at least, I think some of that came from just not having a nominal point guard on the floor for pretty much the whole game. Obviously, they started with Frank, who at this point is just kind of a hybrid and seems to have uh, maybe maybe for, for better or worse, just been like kind of burned out of all of his point guard inclinations and just kind of content to like make an initial pass and then and then sort of stay out of the way on offense and then quickly being being kind of kind of shot first in general. I actually think it, it was sort of helpful for the Knicks to just have five guys on the court who, who to some some extent, I mean, there were there were like certainly stretches where where Burks and, and obviously IQ and RJ and Randall were just looking for their own shot. But overall, it just felt like like a very modern multi ball handler offense, and it it looked really good. And and obviously by the final score, it worked really well for the Knicks. Yeah, I also thought that this was one of the first games in a while where. Randall really looked as involved as a ball handler as he did earlier in the season. You know, early in the season, we were seeing him put up seven, eight, nine assists, like almost every single night. Um, And, you know, he was, he was easily putting up the most assists on the team pretty much on a nightly basis. And lately we've seen that number kind of come down and his overall season average has come down too in assists. And, you know, I, I felt like in the second half, especially, he finally felt more free again. Like the first half, a lot of what wasn't working, which led to that that early deficit that was really concerning, was uh, Randall seemed to still sort of be on his his last year's Randall uh, mood that he was in in the first game back against Milwaukee, where it seemed like he was kind of forcing things a little bit. Like he's putting too much onus on himself to score the ball and not really trusting his teammates again, which was concerning. But then in the second half, he just completely loosened up. I mean, he had, I think it was like six assists in the first half as well. So he pretty much split them half and half. I guess really when he really started getting comfortable was in the second quarter. Um, And then that sort of just transitioned over to the second half. But it helped having that, you know, again, you want to talk about the effect that quickly has on that lineup, having a clear paint where people were defending the perimeter and stuff was really helpful for Randall because, you know, then Randall was able to get inside and, you know, get some of those kickouts that are always so uh, useful for him and, and are really the source of most of his assists 
And, you know, he was able to also, you know, pull off some of those plays, like the one that I mentioned where he sort of did the, the little dribble handoff to RJ, who then just sort of streaked right for the hoop and got a basket there. That's an easy assist opportunity for Randall and something that he does really well. Um, there's just, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of great things going on out there as far as ball movement, to your point, getting Randall involved as a playmaker again. And, you know, it also it just sort of opened Randall up for his scoring again as well, which, you know, after that uh, season worst seven point outing against the Bucks, again, he, he managed to bounce back in that respect in this game as well with 26 points, 8 of 15 shooting, 3 of 6 from the three-point line. Um, I, I thought that just between those three guys, you know, they they had just such a great symbiosis to them. And, it, you know, there were some other guys that also did their thing to a degree. Reggie Bullock had 14 points. Uh, but, I, you know, I thought he could have shot better, honestly. He shot 5 of 12 and 4 of 11 from three. He had a ton of open looks from three. I mean, reasonably on a on a normal to good night for Reggie Bullock, he could have had six or seven threes in this game because he was he was getting some very very open looks in this game. And then Alec Burks had 15 points. He actually only shot six of 18 overall. Uh, I didn't love his shot selection, particularly in the first half, but he sort of figured it out to some degree. Didn't hit a three, so I guess that makes it all the more impressive they managed to get to 15 points in general, even if it took them 18 shots to get there. Um, But mostly I think, I think the story of this game was that big three, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I I just, I really hope that this was the wake up call to Tibbs that it's time to give them extended run together and hopefully start together. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in total agreement. I, I, I just, I liked how Randall initiated them pushing the ball. I, I think that was a big thing that that he just continually pushed off off rebounds. It was something we we got into a little bit when Benji Ridholtz was on the podcast, and uh, just the need for the Knicks to play faster. And, and it, it's it's not as simple as as Tibbs just kind of rolling the ball and saying, "All right, everyone, run off of everything," because then you're you're opening up your defense, and when you, when you have a team with with finite talent, um, you, you have to you have to calibrate and, and say, all right, how much defense are we willing to sacrifice for a little bit more offense? Um, and at what point does it not make a difference? At what point does it make you actively worse? But I, I just think I think led by Randall, the Knicks found a really good balance. And and again, it's it's kind of about being opportunistic, seeing opportunities where it's saying, all right, if I push here, it's not going to put us in a bad position because we're going to have a better chance of scoring than the other team will, even even if this doesn't work out. And I, I also, I just think the, the two days off coming into this game did him a lot of good physically. He, he, he just looked great in this one. I mean, just getting, getting to his spots on the floor, bullying around Al Horford moving really, really well. And, and it just, it's sort of what you would want Julius Randle to do against the team like the Thunder. And I know after that Bucks game, I had some concerns and like, man, maybe this guy is just, just completely spent, completely burnt out. Um, we're we're going to get, we're going to get another good kind of um, insight into how the second half of the season goes tonight against the Nets, because this is, this is sort of the type of game where it's like, all right, it's, if, if you, if you want to be an all NBA type player, like I, like I said, he could be in our, in our bold predictions pod, check that out if you missed it. Um, that that's the kind of game where, where Julius Randle is going to put up like a 35, 15 and seven. So we'll, we'll see what he brings tonight. 
But let's um, let's let's talk IQ a little bit because he, he really got the Knicks going this one. Um, he came in after Frank picked up two fouls, um, like five and a half, uh, six minutes into the game. It was a pretty nondescript uh, start for Frank, who who certainly uh, cooled down a little in the in the two games post All Star break offensively. Um, but it, it didn't really matter in this one because IQ came in and he scored 12 points on five of six shooting in the first like seven minutes. He was on the court, and, and I think I, I saw a tweet from the Strickland Alex, and I was in total agreement. The, the floater, the floater was back in, in full, comes in immediately. Like it, it was, it was, it was basically like the play we saw him run, like or, or I, I guess the move we saw him use every time he got the ball in, in the first half of the, in the first couple of games of the season when he'd play like put someone in jail, kind of push off, get into the lane, floater. He had a little variety. He had a he kind of a two handed one, so I guess that would be more of a runner. From the elbow, that was really impressive. Um, it, it bounced in, but uh, uh, shots a shot. Um, third straight floater in the first quarter. He got another one going straight down the middle. And, and then my favorite shot of his from the game because it, it, it again it, it portends to his future as a forty percent three point shooter. Something PD Webb talked about when he came onto our pod. I was just belatedly listening to it the other night when he came onto Pod Strickland. Um, Quickly's three point percentage does not show how good of a shooter he is because he is taking so many ones that have just an insane, insanely high degree of difficulty that you really, you normally see guys like Steph and Dame, like two of the best three-point shooters in NBA history, taking in like their 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th season in the league versus quickly taking as a rookie. But he got a one-on-one matchup with, I believe, Kenrich Williams, who's, who's maybe the Thunder's best perimeter defender, threw a little pump fake his way. And it was kind of classic quickly. It was shot clock dwindling. And, and he's so good at playing with like space and time and understanding. You you think, you think I'm at, out of time, but I, I really, I have a second and I'm going to get you up in the air and I'm going to trick you and I'm going to get three free throws and make you look like a moron. Uh, but give Kenridge Williams a lot of credit. He didn't fall for it. He, he like bit on the pump, but he did a side contest and, and quickly he's like, Oh shoot, I'm out of options. It has to take like a leaning body forward three, but he cashes it. And at that point, you're kind of like, all right, it's one of those nights for Emmanuel quickly where he's feeling it, everything's going in, and the Thunder are in a whole lot of trouble. And I give him credit because sometimes on those nights he gets off track and then never gets back on track. And I think he proceeded after that hot start to miss his next three or four shots. But then third quarter comes around. He's active defensively. He's creating plays in transition with with like steals in the backcourt. And he's going back to making those floaters, hit one more three, um, he, he was, he was really, really good offensively. Defensively, I had some quibbles. Ty Jerome, uh, former Virginia, great New York native shout out, uh, worked him a little bit, but overall he was really, really good. And again, this game was all about the ceiling of him, Randall and RJ together. And, and I think you see IQ's basketball intelligence, Alex, in terms of how he can calibrate from saying, all right, I'm, I'm with the bench guys. Like maybe, maybe Alec Burks is going to go off, but no, no one else is really going to get things done unless I take a lot of shots. And then he's with Randall and RJ and he immediately says, all right, I don't have to take that crazy three. I can take a step back. And I know you, you've noted correctly, there are stretches this year where he's got a little too shot happy, but it, it's just nice to see that, that basketball uh, cognition, I'll say. That, that he he knows who's around him and he knows what he has to do predicated on, on who else is on the floor with him yeah I was I was gonna just say actually uh to just sort of succinctly wrap that up with a bow because I, I thought your analysis was spot on that playing with the starters might be the key to sort of I don't want to say saving Emmanuel quickly but you know sort of 
recalibrating how he thinks about how he should approach the game out there because for a while it seemed like you know for the last handful of games his approach seemed to be okay if I'm coming in off the bench my role is to score points and that seemed to be the only thing on his mind whereas when he was out there with RJ and Randall who he you know clearly recognizes as he should as the the two like alphas on this team he started being a little more deferential you know we got four assists in this game which you know i know assists are just uh, any of a number of counting stats that don't necessarily uh capture someone's impact on the court but he i i think earned every one of those and was ultimately second on the team in assists and it felt like it should be that way uh so i think that you know once again making this this you know a starting lineup change where you get Emmanuel quickly out there starting regardless of who's healthy on the team between Alfred Payton, Derek Rose, you know, Frank Milikina, anybody, I think there's a real case to be made no matter what, Emmanuel quickly is is the guy that should be starting at point guard for the Knicks. Even if he's not a bring the ball up the floor every single time point guard a la uh, Alfred Payton, I, I think that he works better as a guy who will occasionally bring the ball up and otherwise can sort of defer to RJ and Randall and still be deadly. Uh, but we'll see if Tibbs makes that lineup change. I guess, Gavin, to wrap this up, because we're running long, um, my two shout-outs to end the game here would just be uh, shout-out to Nerlens Noel for still not having hands. Uh, he, he played, by all accounts, a fine enough game in this one, except for the fact that he just... <laughs> He blew like three possessions just by not being able to catch the ball. I actually feel bad for Randall's stat line. He got ta- he got tagged with a turnover at one point for just a horrendous Noel drop. There was this like beautiful sequence where I think it started with Randall driving into the paint, if I remember right. But like someone drove into the paint, kicked it to the corner, and then the ball made its way all the way around the perimeter, started working its way back around the perimeter. Like there was just like these crisp fast passes between the Knicks and then finds its way to Randall again, who then starts going inside a little bit to draw the defense up. And he goes to, I think bounce it to Noel, give him a little bounce pass and Noel just fumbled it out of bounds. <laughs> so beautiful possession shot by the fact that Nerlens Noel could not catch the ball. It would have been an easy dunk and a really nice end to a great passing sequence, but is what it is. I guess you can't, can't win them all. Uh, and then also shout out to Frank Nolikina, uh, or more specifically to just what happened to Frank, which was like, I feel like probably the worst nightmare for anyone who's a super huge fan of his, uh, where he goes from, and maybe just sort of an encapsulation of the whole Frank Nolikina experience too, where he literally goes from uh, starting to out of the rotation playing garbage time minutes in one single game. Yeah. <laughs> which... I didn't necessarily know it was even possible, but he he didn't play that great in the first quarter. I mean, you and I are always the first to say if he plays well. I'll say he didn't play well to start this game. He was, I don't know, he was looking extra tentative and just not not in a good headspace, I guess. I don't know, like it just seemed like he was he was back to like bad Frank, you know, when when Frank's at his worst and uh, he should have used headspace. Oh yeah, he's in a bad head. Maybe he should use the Headspace app. It, it seems meditation. It just, it just seems logical. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but on that note, this episode's brought to you by Headspace. Uh, I think I'm ready to ready to wrap this one up. Unless you had any parting shots. Here. No, I'm 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 down to call it. I just it was it was a really fun game. It was it was good to see. I mean, especially after how awful the the Bucks game was, it was nice to see the Knicks get into that kind of rhythm. Uh, and the good news for the Knicks is they'll be going up against the similarly porous defense tonight in the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the offense might be slightly better, but uh, it, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I think this is the first game all year that I'm, I'm actively like, I, I kind of feel like I, I'm a big college football fan, uh, U, University of Oklahoma, and there, there's nothing like when, when you only get 12 to 15 games a year of your favorite team. There's nothing like that level of excitement, but. I, I have a little bit of that feeling in my stomach about the Nets game tonight. Like I'm just, I'm just intrigued to see them on the court. Like obviously the rivalry perspective, but it just seems like a very good measuring stick for the Knicks. And, and just intuitively, I know the Nets defense has been better of late, but on paper it feels like a little bit of a better matchup than a team like the Bucks, and it feels like a team that the Knicks can actually hang with as long as they, as long as they shoot the ball well. If not, they're going to get run off the floor. But I'm, I'm, I'm just excited, like especially to see to see RJ and Julius with, with the boost of confidence they got from this last game going up against that Nets team. So that's, that's my concluding thought. Just very, very hyped for tonight's game. Yeah, I'm ready for it too. And it's, uh, it'll be intriguing to see if the Knicks fans can still out noise the Nets fans in their own building, even with a uh, 2000 fan capacity roughly. So can't wait to see how that goes. At any rate, we will, uh, we'll be back in your guys feeds tomorrow morning, recapping, the Nets game, and then a back-to-back. They're going to have to face uh, the Sixers on Tuesday night. So we'll be back in your feed on Wednesday morning as well with another game recap uh, before hopefully some other cool episodes to end this week off uh, prior to the the game on, I think they, they're off from Tuesday to, what, Thursday? And then, and then Thursday to Sunday. So not a super jam-packed week after this back-to-back to start. But we'll have you covered for all those and more on Locked on Knicks, but for now, this has been Locked on Knicks. We will talk to you guys soon. Peace.